The amygdala, which is this part of your brain that stores memories and processes information, understands that the body is experiencing the emotion of fear. And so then what happens is the amygdala sends information to other parts of your body to react to this fear. Your pupils dilate, your heart starts beating faster, your breath gets shorter, parts of your body shut down, and you get sweaty hands. Your body does all of this within less than one millisecond. The amygdala also sends information to the other parts of the body that engage your fight or your flight responses. Your body does all of this subconsciously to keep you safe. And it all happens in less than one millisecond of time. We don't have a lot of control over this involuntary action in our body. So why in scripture do we see the words, don't be afraid, so often? Why in the Christmas story do we see the words, don't be afraid, so often? If we have little to no control of how our bodies process the emotion of fear, is being fearless really possible? That's what we've been looking at here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church this Advent season. We've been working through a sermon series that we've entitled Fearless. And we've looked at all of the times in the Christmas story an angel tells someone, do not be afraid. We've looked at the stories of Mary and Joseph and Zechariah the priest. So this morning we're going to close out the sermon series with the story of the shepherds and how an angel tells them, do not be afraid. I want to welcome you all again to Crosswalk this morning here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're really glad that you're here and that you've decided to worship with us today. My name is Carrie Lynn Lucas. I'm a staff person here at Lover's Lane. Your regular preacher, Stan Copeland, is enjoying some much deserved um, time off after just a wonderful Christmas season from him. So our scripture today is going to come from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 20. And just a refresher, um, Luke is a gospel, which is a funny church word for the books of the Bible that gives us um, the stories of the life of Jesus. And there's four of them in our New Testament. So up until this point in the story of the Gospel of Luke, um, there's been some really interesting things that have happened. Um, There's a woman named Elizabeth who's married to Zechariah, who's a priest. And they are well beyond childbearing years, as Scripture tells us. But Elizabeth is pregnant. And she has a child, and they call him John the Baptist. Or Stan likes to say John the Baptizer because he doesn't want to give Baptists any credit. It's true. We also have a miraculous conception of a woman named Mary who's engaged to Joseph. And we know that they haven't had any marital relations, but Mary becomes pregnant by miracle of the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph still engaged. Mary, well far along, travel to Bethlehem 
because Caesar's conducting a census. And while they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. And in fact, she gives birth to him and then lays him in a manger or a feeding trough because there's no place for them to stay once they get to Bethlehem. So what we're going to read this morning picks up right after the birth of Jesus. In fact, it's the night of the birth of Jesus. So here's our reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. And if you are thankful for that, say thanks be to God. So this week, as I began to think about this passage... I studied some information about shepherds, and I learned a lot. So in the Bible, we see shepherds a lot. If you remember in your Old Testament, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd. Because at the time of the Old Testament, Israel is kind of a nomadic society. They're always on the move. They don't always have a place that's theirs. Being a shepherd was pretty middle of the line as far as the social ladder was concerned. But this is found in the New Testament during the time of Jesus. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the status of shepherds socially had changed. During the time of Jesus, shepherds were the lowest of the low. They weren't considered much better than those who dealt with really unclean and dirty things. It was a less than noble occupation. It was the bottom of the bottom. And according to a, an article I read this week by a guy named Randy Alcorn, it was, shepherds were considered not only unclean, but also untrustworthy and uneducated. Unclean, untrustworthy, and uneducated. Educated. So why in the world is the birth of the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ in the flesh, announced to the lowest of lows 
first? Why didn't the angels appear to religious leaders like pastors or scribes or Pharisees? Why didn't the angels appear to a political leader and say, your reign is over, there's a new king? But the angels appear to the lowest of the low, shepherds who don't even have a place to stay at night. The shepherds hear about Jesus' birth the night that it happens. The announcement comes to them not just from one simple angel telling them the good news, but instead an entire choir of a heavenly host singing to them and praising God. This simple announcement becomes a heavenly event complete with its own soundtrack. I think it's fair to say that for this kind of announcement, shepherds are a really unlikely choice. This isn't the first time in scripture that an unlikely person is chosen for something. Scripture's full of people who are not exactly the best fit for the situations that they're put in, but God uses them. The shepherds I told you about earlier, Moses and David, Moses was a shepherd, but he also had a stutter. He says to God, I don't speak so well. Yet God uses him to lead the Israelite people out of slavery from Egypt by going and speaking to Pharaoh. He's a very unlikely choice. David was a shepherd. And later he became king, and while he was king, he committed adultery and then murder. But David remained king. And David's lineage remained ruler over Israel, all the way up into the person of Jesus Christ. David's a really unlikely choice. Even after the time of Jesus, we still see God choosing unlikely people. The Apostle Paul was so against the early Christian movement, yet still God used him to establish relationships with churches and write the bulk of our New Testament. Paul is a very unlikely choice. All of these choices are unlikely and yet God still uses these people and empowers them to do great and wonderful things. History is also full of examples of people who are unlikely choices that are still used for great and wonderful things. One of these is a woman named Nancy Wake. Nancy Wake was a journalist in France in the 1930s. She witnessed the rise of Nazism. She witnessed the brutalization of Jewish people in the streets, and she herself was attacked when she was with a cameraman working on a story. She sat across the table from Hitler and interviewed him, and then she wrote about the dangers of Nazism. And how the rise of this power was going to hurt 
our world. Nancy Wake was a brilliant journalist. And I'm sure that she would have continued in that role well. But then, Nancy Wake started to do the unlikely. Nancy Wake joined the French resistance as a secret agent. She helped Jewish people escape France and went even further to cross back and forth between Nazi checkpoints to deliver materials for the French resistance. The Gestapo, or the secret Nazi police, did not like the fact that a woman was helping the resistance. They didn't know who she was, but they gave her a name, the White Mouse, because she was like a little mouse that would scurry into a hole anytime they would get close to her. They put a five million franc price on her head. In today's U.S. dollars, that's about 88 million dollars. They wanted her eliminated. A simple female journalist like Nancy Wake is a pretty unlikely choice for a war hero in France. But Nancy Wake continued to do the unlikely. Because of the price on her head, Nancy Wake fled France and went to Britain. But as soon as she got there, she didn't stop. She joined the Special Operations Executive in order to continue to fight Nazi powers. And it's with the Special Operations Executive that she's given her first assignment. She's told that she must go back to France because she speaks French. And she did. Nancy Wake was a brave and wonderful war hero who was a pretty unlikely choice to lead the French resistance not only once, but twice. One of the most interesting and very seldom mentioned parts of her story is when Nancy Wake is on the airplane going back to France. Because of the price on her head, she has to parachute into the country by jumping out of a plane. And it said that when she was in the plane, on her way, and it came time to jump, she couldn't do it. She asked someone to push her out of the plane because she could not jump on her own. Remember when I told you earlier about what happens to your brain when you become afraid? I'm sure that this happened to Nancy. Her amygdala received information from her eyes and from her ears and maybe even her nose and started the chain reaction, processing the emotion of fear. I'm sure that her pupils dilated, her heart increased its rate, her breathing shortened, her body shut down, and yes, I have to believe that her hands became sweaty. But Nancy does not let fear get in the way of her mission. She asks someone in the plane to push her out so she can parachute into France. And when she gets there, she continues to lead the French resistance. And she continues to fight efforts against the Nazis there. 
She becomes a witness to the resistance as she leads them. Back in the Gospel of Luke, the shepherds do not let their fear get in the way of their mission either. If I'm being really honest with you all, when I read this passage of Scripture and I hear about the heavenly host singing, in my head, it's Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston is the heavenly host in my mind every time I read this passage of Scripture because nobody does it like Whitney. (laughs) But I have to believe that if I was at my job, sitting at my desk, doing my normal mundane thing, and Whitney Houston herself appeared out of nowhere with a bright, beautiful, beaming light shining around her, telling me about a baby who's going to save the world far away from me, even if it's Whitney Houston... I'm going to be a little bit afraid. Let's be honest. My pupils would dilate, my heart would increase in rate, my breathing would shorten, my body would shut down, and yes, my palms would be incredibly sweaty. But I'm really drawn to what the shepherds do with their fear. They believe what the angels tell them. They don't ask any questions. They go and they see the baby in Bethlehem. They go and they see Mary and Joseph. Remember verses 17 and 18 say, When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They tell more than just Mary and Joseph about what they have seen and what they have heard. They share with everyone. The shepherds demonstrated what I'm calling a fearless witness. They told others about what had happened to them, what they had seen, what had been promised to them about this baby. So the question I have for you this morning, how can we all have a fearless witness? Nancy Wake demonstrated a fearless witness in her writings as a journalist, but also in her actions as she became a leader of the resistance, not just once, but twice. You may think that you are an unlikely choice to be a witness for God. You would say to me that you don't know enough about the Bible or that you haven't lived enough life or you've lived too much life or your past is too much in the way to be a witness for God. But I believe that every person in this room and every person watching online is called to have a fearless witness for the things that God is doing in each of your lives I know for a fact that God is doing incredible things in each of your lives through your friends, your family, your places of work, your relationships, your struggles, your battles, your victories. We are to be like shepherds and go and tell the things that we know. We know that God loves all people, and that's proven to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We also know that God desires to be in relationship with all people by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so we need to tell about our experience of God's love and about our experience of our relationship with God. Having a fearless witness does not mean that we will not experience fear from time to time. Like shepherds, we may still find ourselves confronted with things that make us afraid in an unexpected way, out of nowhere. In your life, there are still going to be things like a layoff, a diagnosis, or a loss that can make us afraid. Maybe like Nancy Wake, we may be in an airplane and we might find ourselves confronted with something that makes us afraid, but in a way that we know it's coming, in a way that we're dreading. In our lives, there are still present realities like loneliness, the really annoying parts of our jobs, and difficult people. In your life, you're going to be afraid of some things. Your body's going to react when you're afraid. Your amygdala is going to receive information from your eyes and your ears and your nose. And it's going to start a chain reaction in your body. Your pupils are going to dilate. Your heart's going to increase in rate. Your breathing's going to shorten. Your body's going to shut down. And your palms are going to be sweaty. But what will you do with that fear? You can choose to have a fearless witness. You can be like the shepherds and share about the things that have happened to you, even if they've made you afraid. You can be like Nancy Wake. You can ask for help from someone who's right there with you to help you face things that make you afraid. Our body does not allow us to stop the natural response to fear, but we do have control over what we decide to do with that fear. In two days, a new year starts, and I pray that this year, perhaps when you find yourself afraid, you ask God for help. That you find a way to have a fearless witness about the things that God is doing in your life, even if those things are scary. I pray that this year you will be like Nancy Wake. And in the face of fear, even if your body is frozen, you ask for help. Ask for someone to push you out of the plane. Because here on the ground, there's work to be done.